Welcome to the Powers on Sports podcast for the week of February 11th. It is Valentine's week. If you haven't already done so, you better get out and get your special someone. Those flowers or that nice gift or those dinner reservations. Because before you know it, it'll be over and you will be in the Major League Doghouse. So don't forget, February 14th. Valentine's Day, the most overpriced holiday of the of the season for all of us. I'm your host, Jason Powers. Welcome to the podcast for another episode. I want to give you our Twitter handle. We are at KickTheFB, at KickTheFB, and we're also on Instagram at Powers on Sports, Instagram account, so give us a follow. Check us out on Facebook. Twitter or on Instagram. I'm also doing a radio show here in the Tampa Bay area on Sunday mornings from 11 to 12 a.m. 11 a.m. to 12 noon on AM 13 The Biz with my co-host Patrick Hyland, my buddy Pat. We kind of do a one-hour show every week just talking about the sports events of the week. And so check us out if you're in the in the Central Florida AM again, AM 1380 the biz. Well, this week we're gonna talk about some I'm gonna give you some thoughts about some some doings and some topics in the NFL. Also gonna talk about the AAF, which is the Alliance of American Football, which they made their debut for their new spring league this last weekend with some varying uh, degrees of success. So we'll talk a little about the AAF. We're also going to talk, I'm going to give you some thoughts on the NBA season to date. We're right about the All-Star break. It's coming up this weekend in Charlotte. So I'm going to talk, we're going to talk a little Lakers. We're going to talk a little bit of Anthony Davis. Our team's tanking for Zion Williamson. And All-Star weekend. What do you like, what do you not like about All-Star weekend? And then finally, we're gonna get. I'm gonna. We're gonna talk a little college basketball as we're getting. We're getting close to March. We got about a third of the season left to go, and everybody, you know, teams are starting to kind of distinguish themselves about whether they're contenders or not, and some good conference races. And we're right about a month away from Selection Sunday, one of my most favorite days of the year. I always love watching Selection Sunday. That good couple hour breakdown of the of the tournament bracket so we'll talk a little like i said talk a little football tonight talk a little hoops gonna talk a little bit about a uh as we get started here i'm gonna talk about i went to the national football foundation i went to a dinner tonight the the tampa chapter of the national football foundation is a is a uh group here a non-profit group here in tampa that and all around the country but it has a chapter here in tampa that give out recognition to high school student athletes football players it's a football uh, high school football kind of a awards banquet to this year's uh dinner was comprised of 23 high school seniors being honored uh, i was fortunate enough to back in way back in the day when i was a high school senior i was fortunate enough to be honored by the national football foundation one of the cool things about the Football Foundation Award is it's not just a on-the-field award. It also deals with your academic prowess in the classroom as well as some uh, uh, customer, uh, you know, community service opportunities that uh, 
you know, you give back to the community by doing some volunteer work and such. So tonight there were 23 award recipients from all over Hillsborough County uh, that were recognized. There were also three other awards that were given out to some adults in the community for their their good works and their and their commitment to high school football and high school sports in the Tampa Bay area. So, very nice event, fun event. Uh, again, all, a lot of the, a lot of the, all the, a lot of coaches from the high schools in Hillsborough County were in attendance, and a lot of a lot of just kind of movers and shakers in Tampa were in attendance tonight as well. For the, so, a very nice event for the National Football Foundation. I, you know, it's like I said, it's been about 20, 20 hell, twenty eight years for me back when I got the award back in like 1990. So I vaguely remember, the, I remember going to the event, but I don't remember all, a ton of details about it, but I was uh, fortunate enough to get recognized. And uh, so again, a lot of great athletes um, from all walks of life, from all parts of the community and all parts of the county. So congratulations to those 23 young men and hopefully their uh, next venture, whether they are whether, whether they get to play college football or not, Hopefully their next chapter in life in college or in whatever or whatever uh, walk of life they, they go into. Hopefully it's just as successful as their high school career. Had a couple kids are going to play Division One football. I think one kid's going to West Virginia. Had another kid going to Kansas State. Several kids going to play Division Two and Division Three football. Um, so lots of lots of great athletes. Uh, lots of uh, it's just a very good event here in the Tampa Bay area. So. Thanks, Dad, for inviting me to the event this year. And I look, again, I look forward to trying to maybe participate in the event in future years. So that's kind of what uh, you know my week is, has has been constituted of. And all right, so let's get to some NFL action, NFL storylines as we lead into the off season. The the, the kind of this is about a three week three, four-week lull period here for the NFL between the end of the Super Bowl and when their kind of their new league year kicks off in early March. So you got a little bit of uh, – got some got some player player news. Some some teams are making some salary cap uh, cuts of some players in these last couple of weeks and these next couple of weeks coming. You got the – Antonio Brown is requesting a trade out of Pittsburgh, which that's, that's – he, but he's – that's not new news, but it's new that he kind of – he initiated it. So it'll be interesting to see what the Steelers decide to do, uh, whether they want to trade them, who they trade them to, all that kind of good stuff, and what other teams are willing to to compensate the Steelers for him. Because obviously that's the key thing. They got obviously have to we'll have to make a trade and compensate the Steelers to some degree. We're gonna talk Kyler Murray. He came out with his declaration that he's gonna be a full time football player as of now. So. Will Oakland, the A's, will they come back with another offer to try to get him to not play football full-time? Sounds like he's going to be playing, you know, he's going to the combine. Sounds like he's definitely going to be uh, committing this next chapter of his career to football. Um, I think he's probably making the right decision because I think what can happen for him is it's going to be much, it would be a much probably easier transition at some point down the road if football did not work out for him, that he would be able to, if he wanted to try to go back to play baseball again, whereas it's going to be way, it would be way, way more difficult for him to go play baseball initially and then three or four years down the road, try to come back and play football. So, but Kyler Murray's definitely uh, going to be an interesting prospect. It's, uh, you know, I was telling somebody today, if he was, 
you know, the biggest knock on Murray is his size. He's only, he's, you know, he's between 5'9 and 5'10, probably closer to 5'9. And there just hasn't been the success stories of guys 5'9 making it in the NFL. But the one contradiction, the one, you know, caveat to that is we've never seen kind of football be played at the quarterback position like it's being played now with so many different, so many college concepts of the read option movement, quarterbacks being able to run, throw options, all that, RPOs, all that kind of good stuff. So this style of play is, makes it much more viable for potentially a guy like a Kyler Murray who's undersized to be able to make it um, as, a, as a quarterback. And obviously, I think we wouldn't be in this position if he wasn't the Heisman Trophy winner and kind of a projected first-round draft pick. If Murray was just an average guy, who was maybe a third or fourth round draft pick, we wouldn't be in the situation. Murray would definitely be going to play baseball in spring training, but pretty much I won't say he's guaranteed to be a first round draft pick, but I would be shocked if he was not a first round draft pick. Um, now that he's fully committed to, to football, um, it wouldn't, it won't shock me at all if he's a top 10 pick. You know, there's even been some talk that the Arizona Cardinals are number one and that who have the number one pick in the draft could potentially take him at number one and then turn around and trade Josh Rosen. Because if you recall, Cliff Kingsbury, who's now the coach of the Arizona Cardinals, once said when he was in college about Murray that he would be the number one pick in the draft because of his talent level. One thing I'll say about Kyler Murray as related to other, you know, kind of running guys that like to run around is he is a very, very good passer of the ball. Um, Unlike Michael Vick, unlike Lamar Jackson, those kind of guys that are that will will survive and thrive on their feet, those two guys did not have nearly the throwing ability that Kyler Murray does. If you've watched Kyler Murray play, he's very prolific throwing the ball. He can throw the deep ball with touch. He's very accurate. You know, he ran the Oklahoma offense this last year more prolifically than Baker Mayfield did when Mayfield was at Oklahoma. Um, so. I think it's going to be an interesting next 60 days for one Kyler Murray. You know, he again, if he, uh, I I think he'll be picked in the top probably 13 picks of the draft. I think the Dolphins are at 13. I don't think he'll get by the Dolphins at 13 at the worst. And it wouldn't shock me if he, he's a top 10 draft pick. So, uh, you know, if he has a good combine, he and Dwayne Haskins will be, be vying for the number one quarterback slot. And I, like I told somebody today, if, if Kyler Murray was six foot two, He'd be the number one pick in the draft, in my opinion. No, no questions asked. So, um, it will be interesting to see what teams, how teams evaluate him based on his height. Um, but he's definitely in, in his in his in his weight because he's pretty pretty slim. He's a pretty slim guy. He's only about five nine. I think he's about 185, 190 pounds, which in today's world of, of quarterbacking is is very very frail, very thin. Um, so they'll be interesting to see what the what the scouting reports and what the kind of the the scouting uh, measurables think of one Kyler Murray. So, all right, A.B., Antonio Brown trade talks. He's made it official he wants out of Pittsburgh. Does that mean the Steelers have to trade him? No. There will be a big cap hit if they do trade him. Uh, I believe I think I read something where it's a, where it's a, where it's an eight or nine million dollar cap hit if they trade him. If they release him, they're on the hook for like 18, 19 million, which they're not going to do that. So it's going to be quite interesting to see if somebody who who offers what to the Steelers for for Antonio Brown, or if the Steelers just make the 
decision that they're going to try to ride it out and try to mend the fences between Antonio and Ben Roethlisberger and Tomlin to see how that goes. So, possible suitors for Antonio Brown. There's been some t- a lot of talk out of San Francisco that the 49ers are going to be very interested. They need an impact receiver. They've got tons and tons of cap space. Kyle Shanahan, offensive guy. Jimmy Garoppolo coming back. They don't have an impact receiver in San Francisco. They've got a really good tight end in George Kittle. Uh, Jerry Rice has been a big advocate for Antonio Brown, talking how he he wants to go play and how Antonio wants to be a 49er. Um, one thing you can be assured is that Pittsburgh will not trade him to anybody in the AFC North within their division, and they're also not going to trade him to the Patriots under any circumstance. One thing they're not going to do is they're not going to strengthen another AFC powerhouse. I envision if they do make a trade for Antonio that they're going to trade him to the NFC. Also, uh, you know, can you get a first-round draft pick for him? I don't think you can because I think Antonio, the moment he gets traded, he's going to want a new contract. He's fairly reasonable right now in what he's making. I think he's making twelve or thirteen million dollars, something like that. I think he's got two more years left in his deal. Um, if he gets traded, I'm going to be—I would be shocked if he doesn't ask for you know fifteen, sixteen million dollars, twenty million dollars, close to what and uh, close to what uh, Odell Beckham's making. When the season starts here in 2019, Brown will be 31 years old. He'll be going into his 10th year. He's no doubt an elite receiver. Top, I mean, he's one of the top two or three receivers in the NFL. <clears throat> Has the most catches in a six-year history than anybody in the in league history. No, nobody doubts his uh, work ethic and his in his productivity on the field. All his issues and all his problems seem to be coming off the field between he and his he and Ben Roethlisberger. He's got some issues. Uh, he's got a couple of legal issues he's going to have to deal with in the spring, a potential domestic abuse. You know, he had, a, he had a speeding ticket where he was going 100 miles an hour. He's had some incidents where he's thrown stuff out of an apartment window, third floor apartment window, furniture, clothes, that kind of stuff. Just to, so he's got he's got some. He definitely has some diva in him for sure. Um, I. I don't think Pittsburgh's going to trade him anytime soon. I think they're going to string this out a little bit and try to see if they can make it work. Um, and then I think that it wouldn't surprise, it wouldn't shock me if they trade him around training camp to get with the, or around the, you know, but sometime between the draft and training camp to get what they can get for him. Um, again, he's a great player. He's just not a very good locker room guy and not a very good teammate from all indications. So another couple other teams, Indianapolis is a potential landing spot for him. Again, I don't know if they, I don't know if Indianapolis can afford him. Uh, you know, him and T.Y. Hilton would make a pretty great little combination, one-two combination with Andrew Luck. A lot of people think the Colts are going to be in the running for Le'Veon Bell, so be interesting to see how that goes with the Colts. Lots of salary cap money. Uh, very good season out of Indianapolis, Frank Reich and company. A team on the rise, so be on the lookout for Indianapolis potentially. But I think if they, I think if Pittsburgh makes the trade, they're going to trade him to the NFC. I don't think they're going to keep him in the AFC where he can come back to bite them. All right, the big news of today was Joe Flacco getting traded from the Baltimore, going to be getting traded from the Ravens to the Broncos. Very interesting move coming out of Denver. John Elway has just keeps swinging on quarterbacks. He's just had no luck post Peyton Manning. With being able to uh, identify the right kind of quarterback for the Denver franchise, 
You know, he draft. He, he went with Trevor Simeon following Peyton Manning era. He went with Paxton Lynch, who was a draft bust, a first round draft pick out of here out of out of Memphis. Um, he went with Case Keenum. He signed Case Keenum last year, and now he's in a little bit of a bind because if he trades for Joe Flacco, they're going to be on the hook for eighteen million dollars for Joe Flacco, as well as they're going to be on the hook for a minimum of ten million dollars on Case Keenum. The salary cap figure for Keenum would be $10 million if they outright release him. If they're able to find a trade partner, which I don't know if anybody in the league is going to pay $18 million for Case Keenum, then that would be their best case scenario. But I'd have a hard time finding somebody that's going to trade eighteen million trade for an $18 million Case Keenum. Um, but you never know. Is Joe Flacco an upgrade from Case Keenum? Slightly, but I would not say a major impact. You know, Joe Joe Flacco basically lost his job in Baltimore. Other than his kind of Super Bowl run a few years ago, he's been a very average quarterback the last four or five years. He got paid after a Super Bowl appearance and Super Bowl uh, victory. But Joe's been a very average quarterback the last four or five years. And, you know, I, it, this, this is definitely seems like a short-term answer. I think Denver, you know, if they can trade Case Keenum, I think they'll definitely be in the quarterback market in the draft. Uh, maybe not the first round, but definitely a second or third round pick. I think they'll, you'll, you'll see them make a, invest in that position. I just don't know if, if, if Joe Flacco is going to get them over the hump here. I, I just don't see that. Um, he is not, again, his, his major problems have been his mobility is not very good. He's not very accurate. Um, Denver is, is definitely kind of in the – Transition period. You got a new head coach in Vic Fangio. Still got a good defense in Denver, but offensive weapons wise, they're, they're they need to replenish the offensive weapons. Other than Emmanuel Sanders, have a good running have a good running game. I think with Philip Lindsay, um, but definitely need some receiver help. Need some tight end help. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this Joe Flacco move uh, move uh, pans out for John, but. It's just been it's been incredible how uh, poor John Elway's been at, at identifying quarterbacks and evaluating quarterback talent the last since Peyton Manning's been gone. So that's kind of the that was kind of the big news of, of today was was Flacco getting traded. Um, I think it's for a fourth round draft pick. Good move for the Ravens. You definitely want to turn it over to Lamar Jackson if you're in Baltimore. The key thing is if you're Baltimore. Who do you you got to bring in another quarterback to obviously protect yourself because of the opportunity, the possible hits that Lamar Jackson's going to take as much running as he's been doing with the ball. Do you bring in another guy that's a kind of a read option kind of guy, or do you bring a, more of a drop back guy into Baltimore to be the backup? So that'll be an interesting question as we again move through the draft process and free agency. I would suspect they're going to bring in another guy that has some read option experience and some mobility. Because you don't want to be having to run two separate offenses out in the event that Lamar Jackson gets hurt, so it would not be surprising if they bring in another, you know, I would say a Colin Kaepernick uh, type of a Colin Kaepernick type of guy, a guy who's got who can run the read off read, read read option, who's a viable player that can come in and play. So um, you never know, but you, this might be the the opportunity that Colin Kaep- Kaepernick's been looking for to be a backup quarterback if he's if he truly wants to get back in the league, which I'm not sure he wants to. Um, but interesting doing. So again, you'll see some more guys getting cut. You you saw Demarius Thomas get cut earlier this week. 
Vinny Curry for the Bucks got cut. Teams are making some salary cap decisions now that are going to lead into free agency. So you'll see some more guys getting released. Matt Bryant was cut by the basically told he's not going to be re-signed by the Falcons. The veteran kicker. So that'll be an interesting uh, to see where he goes. All right, let's transition to the AAF, the new spring league. Is this going to be the new USFL? If you remember back in the, those of you that are old enough, remember the USFL back in the early 80s was a spring league that tried to compete against the NFL. And actually for the first couple of years of their franchise, of their league existence, were doing pretty well. Had a TV contract, had a nice TV contract with ESPN, ABC back in the day. They were luring big-name players from the NFL and from the college ranks. If you remember, Herschel Walker started off his career in the USFL. Doug Flutie, Reggie White, Anthony Carter. No, not Chris Carter, but Anthony Carter, who was a receiver at Michigan way back in the day. Doug Williams left the Buccaneers and went to the uh, USFL. Steve Young played in the USFL. Jim Kelly, just a ton and ton of great players, Hall of Fame-type players began their career and played some of their career in the USFL. Uh, the Kind of the downfall of the USFL kind of goes back to our president, one Donald J. Trump. ESPN did a great 30 for 30 documentary on the USFL and kind of the, 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 back, the backroom dealings of the USFL. And, and from all indications, President Trump, who was with the owner of the New Jersey Generals, was a major factor in the USFL uh, imploding, you know, he wanted to compete so hard against the NFL. He wanted to kind of overtake, you know, he, he was desperate to become an owner in the NFL. And so he was just making all these backhanded decisions and he was corrupting a lot of the other owners in the USFL. Um, had the USFL kind of stayed the course, that league had some legs. That league was, was doing well. The football was good quality. They were playing in non, for the most part, non-NFL markets. They were playing in a couple of NFL markets. There was a team here in Tampa called the Tampa Bay Bandits. I used to go to the games. That was actually the the Bandits' head coach, Steve Spurrier. This was the beginning of the Steve Spurrier train of coaching in professional football. Spurrier, after the USFL, went to Duke. Then he went to Florida. Um, and then how all the success he had at Florida. So the USFL was a great uh, developing ground for so many great players and you know great coaches. Jim Mora was a coach in the USFL. Those of you that are game day followers, the venerable Lee Corsos was a USFL head coach. Uh, Burt Reynolds was involved in the league as an owner. Again, Spurrier, Jim Mora, just all kind of great players. Uh, names in the coaching and player ranks were involved in that league. And sounds like the AAF, the Alliance of American Football, headed by Bill Polian, the famous GM, NFL GM, got off to a pretty good start here this last weekend. Seems like the TV ratings were pretty good. If you if you haven't if you didn't watch any of the games, the games are being televised on CBS, the CBS Sports Network. ESPN, not ESPN, the NFL Network's covering some games. So most of their games, there's only eight teams in the league. And again, I think the teams are uh, Atlanta, Orlando, Memphis, Birmingham, San Diego, Salt Lake City, Phoenix, and 
There's one other team I can't think of, but um, but eight teams in the league. There's four games a week. You know these. There's you know they're they're trying to make this kind of the developmental league that would be the goal. And again, they got some big time coach. A lot of former NFL coaches, big time coaches. You got Rick Neuheisel. You got Mike Martz. Steve Spurrier's a coach. You have uh, you know just some guys with some big names that have that have coached in the NFL at high levels been successful in the NFL. You got a lot of, again, a lot of undrafted players that are or guys that have had cups of coffee in the NFL. They've either been on the practice squads or been at the bottom of the roster. Again, the AAF is definitely, they. I think they understand what their market niche is. Again, it's a spring football league. Who doesn't love football? We all, so many people in this country love football, whether it's in the fall, whether it's in the spring. And I think this is just an outlet that the, this, the AAF is trying to fill in the springtime uh, of football. And again, it was shocking to hear, but the AAF on CBS on the first opening weekend, they drew as many viewers to the, to the TV sets as the NBA primetime game on ABC did on Saturday night between Oklahoma State and Houston. So impressive first week showing. Again, the way this league is going to be sustainable is one: you got to develop star, some develop some quality players. People people want to be able to relate to quarterbacks, receivers, impact players for these teams. And again, the quarterback play is going to be critical in this league. If they can find some good player, some developmental guys, quarterback and wise, that can throw the ball pretty consist- consistently, move the ball on offense, I think the league's got a chance to to, to sustain itself. Again, Bill Polian, one of his big objectives of this league is he wants this to be a developmental feeder league for the NFL. He, there, there's Right now, there's no opportunity for guys, offensive linemen, guys that are at the bottom of rosters, on practice squads, free agents. There's nowhere for them to go play. They, these guys need reps. They need practice time. They need reps. They need game reps. And, you know, there's only so much of that as you can get at an OTA when there's not any contact. And again, these street free eight, there's a lot of guys that have had, again, cups of coffee in the NFL, been on some rosters. You know, there's there's a couple of big name guys. Trent Richardson's kind of a, a big name guy that we all recognize. Um, you know, there's some there's some skill players that that, are, that have had some cups of coffee in the NFL. A couple of these quarterbacks have played in the league for a little bit. You got Andy, er, uh, you have. Aaron Murray from Georgia. You have uh, Matt Sims. You have Garrett Gilbert. Some of these guys that we recognize from the, their college careers and they're in their in their kind of been backups in the NFL. So it's just another opportunity for these guys to potentially earn themselves an NFL opportunity in the training camp. So be interesting to see how the league goes. Again, I, I think it's a good concept. Uh, it will be interesting what the t- how the TV ratings sustain over the next two or three four weeks. As we get into March and April, um, again, I think it's got a chance to, 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 to make it. So CBS, CBS Sportsnet, the NFL Network, those are your places to watch the AAF. So check it out. Uh, some buddies of mine live in Birmingham, went to the game up in Birmingham, said it was a pretty good atmosphere. Attendance was pretty decent. Um, you know, again, I watched probably two quarters of the game on Saturday night between Atlanta and Orlando. 
and it, the, the 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 quality of play was not bad. It was not fantastic, but it wasn't it wasn't terrible either. I think it's I think you're going to see a different concept than the old XFL. I don't think there again you're not going to see any of the of the the drama and all the off the field mumbo jumbo that the XFL tried to tried to uh, garner and tried to generate with all the you know the cheerleading stuff and all the you know. Uh, provocative uniforms by the cheerleaders and all those kind of things. I think you're going to try to. I think this league's goal is to be pure, kind of pure football. They're speeding up the game. They're they're shortening the game clock. They're trying to get the game over with in about two and a half hours. So I think that's a pretty good concept. There's some interesting rules where there's no you don't kick extra points after touchdowns. You have to go for two every time. So that's a pretty interesting rule. So be interesting to see how the AAF maintains itself. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll definitely keep up and. Try to give you some updates, but check it out. AAF, CBS, CBS Sportsnet, NFL Network. All right. So, again, you're listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers, for the week of February the 11th. We're down here in Tampa recording. Definitely uh, check us out. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're going to be... on my Twitter account, you, you can catch episodes, check us out, tell a friend, subscribe to the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments, suggestions, definitely send us a tweet at kick the FB, kick the FB, like football, but just FB, kick at kick the FB is our Twitter handle. Send us a comment. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And speaking of people that want to hear from, don't want to hear from us, is one LeBron James. What a disaster the Lakers are turning into. They are heading into the All Star break under 500, two, two and a half games out of the eighth seed in the Western Conference playoffs. Nobody, nobody thought the Lakers were going to be struggling this mightily in year one of LeBron in LA. And, you know, as much as you got to respect LeBron for his career and for all the, the accomplishments he's had, I almost don't feel bad for LeBron at all, and I almost hope it does turn into a train wreck for LeBron this year in L.A. There's been a lot of issues in L.A. with, you know, him trying to get all the, you know, his open, you know, open uh, discussion of trading for Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis's agent, which is uh, – you know, LeBron James's kind of uh, marketing group comes out a week ago, says they want to, or a couple weeks back, and say, "Hey, I want to get traded to, the, I want to get traded." Basically, ten days before the trade deadline, and basically says in so many words, the only place he wants to go is L.A. Well, LeBron tries to, LeBron and Magic try to broker a deal with the with the Pelicans to try to give them players and draft picks, and the Pelicans want no part of it. Now, they don't end up making a trade at the trade deadline. LeBron alienating many of his players on his own team, all the young guys, Lonzo, Ingram, Kuzma, Josh Hart, those guys are thinking to themselves, well, hell, why the hell do I want to play for LeBron James? This guy, all he's looking to do is ship us out of town for Anthony Davis. So the Lakers have been a, just a dumpster fire the last, couple of games it's incredible they had an incredible win last week at Boston where they kind of the the day of the, the night after the trade deadline expired they kind of had a kind of a, 
a galvanizing moment where they played very well against Boston, came back from a big deficit. Rondo hits a game-winning floater at the buzzer to, to win the game in Boston. They go to Philadelphia and get run out of the gym in Philly on Sunday. And then last night, their last game before the All-Star break, they get run out of the they get beat by the lowly Atlanta Hawks. So lots of trouble in La La Land. Lots of speculation that Luke Walton might get fired during the All-Star break. I think the All-Star break is about nine, eight or nine days for most every team. Lots of chatter that that might happen sometime this weekend. I don't think you should fire Luke Walton. I think it's I think it's 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 a situation where if you're LeBron James, you you be, you better galvanize your team. You better get these guys together. You better you know tell these guys, hey guys, it's time to be professional. I mean, some I mean LeBron, even LeBron, kind of going through the motions. He's got to he's got to set the tone, set the pace for the team. Whether it's especially on the defensive end, they are just getting torched on the defensive end. I mean, the NBA is turning up, turning into a layup drill these days. There's so many points being scored, so so much of a lack of defensive effort being made by most teams most nights. It's almost it's not even it's almost just a pure pickup game. I mean, until the late in the fourth quarter turns into a pickup game, how many times have you seen scores in the 130s and 140s? I mean, it's just incredible how many points these teams are scoring. Uh, due to the offensive uh, lack of defensive effort by most teams in this league, so the other big it, couple big issues in the NBA tanking. I mean, our teams we're getting to that point in the season. Most teams have about 25, 26 games left in the season. Now the thoughts are: who can get in the best position to win the ping pong battle for one Zion Williamson? Zion the you know, pretty much consensus number one player in the draft coming out from Duke, the freshman out of Duke. A lot of people are comparing him to some version of LeBron James back when he came out. I don't think he's nearly as skilled as LeBron, but he's got an incredible NBA body. He's got a, you know, he's a 6'8", kind of a Charles Barkley kind of guy. Uh, just tremendous strength, very strong I think he'll be a good NBA player. I don't know if he'll be a dominating, you know, 25-point kind of game guy, but I think he's going to be a very good NBA player, very good on the defensive end. Uh, you know, everybody's jockeying for, for for Zion, whether it's the Knicks, the Suns, Cleveland. I mean, this, I mean, I think Cleveland, I think the Knicks have lost like 17 straight games going into tonight. I think the Suns have lost 14 or 15 straight games and these teams are basically the Bulls are, are pitiful, the Sun, the Cleveland Cavaliers are pitiful. These teams are all jockeying position because the, the, you know the, the the worst team gets the you know a little bit better percentage to, to, to win the ping pong battle and win win the uh, the lottery for Zion. Lots of free agent talk going on about KD, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. Are they going to New York in the offseason? You know, Kevin Durant had a big blow up with the media uh, late last week. They're all over him about his kind of is it a done deal that he's going to New York? It's free, it's pending free agency, and he's he wants no part of it, which I can understand for Kevin Durant. You've not heard Kevin Durant talking much about free agency, wanting to leave Golden State, and after a while, when you just keep getting pressed and pressed and pressed by the media, and you've told them, "Hey, I just want to play basketball." They want to. You know all the speculation about the the Warriors. Are they gonna are the are the Warriors gonna break up after this year? 
with Durant leaving, DeMarcus Cousins leaving, Klay Thompson potentially leaving. So it's going to be interesting. To, you know, he just had enough with the media. He's a little sensitive, Kevin Durant is, but I can understand Durant's position. Again, he's not out there talking about wanting to leave the Warriors. He's trying to keep it as low-key as possible. He's not really bringing it up. And after a while, the media just has to understand you can't be asking the guy about free agency every single night of the week after every single game. So, um, you know, Durant's never going to come out before the season ends and says, yeah, I'm leaving the Warriors. That's just not what's going to happen. If he's decided to leave, that's fine, but he's never going to come out publicly and say that. Same with Kyrie Irving. Um, but, again, it would make the – the Knicks would become relevant in a hurry. They, they've they cleared their cap space with getting rid of Chris Stapp's Porzingis. The Unicorns shipped him off to Dallas. They're in a position where they can sign two big free agents. They were to sign Durant, Kyrie Irving, and somehow get the number one pick. And with Zion, then all of a sudden, the Mecca in New York City will be back on because the Knicks have just been so bad for so long. It's almost... It's almost they're just due to be good for somehow get a little bit of luck, being able to sign these free agents, get a little lucky with the draft. If you remember back in the day, a lot of people think that NBA lottery was fixed back when Patrick Ewing was was uh, was drafted by the Knicks. They thought the lottery system was draft was rigged, that the Knicks got Patrick Ewing. Who knows? Lots of speculation about that, but. Um, those are kind of the storylines leading into the All-Star Game. The All-Star Game, what a waste of a weekend. Why not just give these guys the weekend off, man? What I mean, if you watch the All-Star Game, I know it's I know it's they're great athletes. I know lot it's a big huge celebrity event. The All-Star Game this year is in Charlotte. You know, you'll see Michael Jordan, you'll see all the celebrities will be out out and about, Kevin Hart, Drake, all these guys that are just NBA lovers will be at the All-Star game all the musicians you'll see Jay you'll probably see Jay-Z and Beyonce just all the celebrities that will be out and about for the weekend but to me the All-Star game the game itself is a joke i it's un, it, it's totally unwatchable for me you know all the action goes goes around all the all the kind of the pre pre-game event stuff you got the three-point shootout you got the skills competition. You got the dunk competition. Uh, you know the dunk. Back in the day, the dunk competition used to be the the highlight of the weekend because you'd have some of the big stars would would participate in the dunk contest. Dominique, Michael Jordan. Uh, you know you had other guys, Vince Carter, Kobe. But now it's just all these all these low level players in the league that are just athletic. Um, that participate in this event. And it's just not to me. It's just not a great event unless you have some of the big players, the big stars in the event. LeBron James has never been in the in the dunk contest, and to me, that's a joke. If you're gonna at least one time, you got to do it. If you're LeBron James, you know, Kobe's been in it once or twice, I think. You know, Blake Griffin's been in it. Some of the, some of the big stars of the league been in it, but you got to have the big stars to dunking. In order for it to be an event, I think I think the funnest event of the weekend is the three-point contest. You know, you got some, you got big. It's in Charlotte this year, so you're going to have Steph Curry's in it. You're going to have his brother. You're going to have a lot of three-point shooters. Those are always the fun event. That's a great event. A lot of drama. A lot of you know goes all the way. Always goes down to the wire. Sharp shooters. You know, back in the day, you had Larry Bird that was in it for so many years. Craig Hodges, Tim Legler, all these kind of guys. 
that are just sharpshooters. To me, that's that's probably the funnest event of the of the weekend is the three point contest. Um, but again, I can't watch it. The celebrity event, the celebrity games are are just you know it's, it's just unwatchable, man, for me. And I just can't. Wait. I really struggle to watch the game on a, on a on a Sunday night when the game is. Again, they play hard for about two and a half, three minutes. When they, if the game's close in the last three minutes, they'll play hard. But the first three and a half quarters of the game is just nothing but a layup drill, and it's it's not even it's not to me it's just not any fun watching. Um, and I get it; you can't play hard the whole time because you can't risk these guys getting injured. I get all that, but at least have a little bit of effort, show a little bit of effort to the fans and to the, and to the to people watching on TV. Uh, and all that stuff. So, I'm not the biggest fan of the All Star Weekend. I, I I won't be watching much. So this will definitely be a weekend that I get out and do something, especially Saturday night, Sunday. Um, I don't think I'll be watching the All Star game. Maybe for for a couple minutes on Sunday night because there's nothing else on TV. But I'll definitely try to. I'll probably try to catch up on my DVR uh, recordings. So, all right, college basketball. We are getting to the. Depths of the college basketball season, the meat and potatoes. Pretty much every team's played about 20, 21 games. We're in the heart of conference conference season. These conference uh, title races are starting to take some shape. Some of the big conferences, ACC, SEC, Big Ten. The heavyweight teams are starting to establish themselves. You got Tennessee, kind of the most unknown number one team we've probably heard of in several years. Tennessee, number one in the country, Duke, Gonzaga, Virginia. You know, these are kind of the heavyweight teams. As we as Kentucky's right there in the top five or six. So we got some good drama developing. We got about a month away from Selection Sunday. I would have to say Selection Sunday is probably one of my top five most favorite sports days of the year. Of the year, excuse me. I just love watching. The brackets being unveiled, all the drama of the matchups, the selection committee, the David versus Goliath kind of situations, the the uh, Illinois Chicago's of the world, the you know the uh, George Masons of the world, the VCU's of the world against these matchups, and every year the the selection committee pits. These, these just awesome first-round matchups. And, again, that Thursday, Friday, the NCAA tournament, again, two of my most favorite days of the year. I'll sit and watch basketball for 10, 11 hours straight those two days. Just unbelievable excitement. Love to watch it. If you're a college basketball fan, now is kind of your time to start really dialing into these teams, trying to break down the teams that are going to be, you know, what's kind of what seating, what level seating are some of these teams going to be. Which teams can actually put six games together and win a national championship? A lot of teams can win a couple of games. Some teams can win three or four games, but there aren't many teams out there that can win six straight games. You know, usually there's about seven or eight teams that can that that are legitimate championship contenders. You know, the Michigan States of the world, even a team like Villanova this year is kind of in a rebuild mode. They're still really good, but they're not elite cut down the nets kind of team. I think there's probably seven or eight teams that could probably, right now, you people would say, hey, one of these seven or eight teams is probably going to win the championship. You probably got Tennessee, Kentucky, 
North Carolina, Duke are the probably four. You probably have Gonzaga, five. You have probably Michigan State, six. Um, a lot of people like Purdue, which I, I, I'm a pretty big fan of Purdue. I like Purdue. Um, you have, again, teams in the ACC, Virginia, Carolina, Duke. I, th- I think this Virginia team is going to be on a mission come the tournament after their disastrous first-round ouster last year to uh, Maryland-Baltimore County, UMBC. If you remember, they shocked the Cavaliers in the first round, the first-ever 116 uh, upset was last year. I really like what I've seen out of this Virginia team. They've only lost two games this year, and both of them been, have been to Duke. Um, but I really like Tony Bennett and that team on defense. They're a much better offensive team. You got Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee, Gonzaga, Michigan State. That's seven right there. Throw in a sleeper team, but I think those probably seven you're probably going to see at least probably three of your final four teams come out of that bracket. Kind of the, 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 you know, the downside of the college basketball world has probably been the Midwest. It's kind of been kind of the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Very down years out of the Pac-12, especially maybe two teams at best make it out of that conference. The Big 12 is down a little bit this year with, with Texas being a kind of a bubble team, Oklahoma being a bubble team. You got Kansas has been decimated by but one injury and the NCAA. And, uh, you know, the NCAA ruled another guy ineligible, one of their better players ineligible a week or so back for Kansas. Uh, They've got two guys have been ruled ineligible. They've got an injury situation. So Kansas is not nearly as stacked as they've been in the past. I think your champion's going to come out of either the ACC, SEC, or Big Ten. Um, You know, the Big East is a little bit down this year. You got Villanova's pretty good, but you don't have a whole lot of other, you know, a sleeper team that I watched play the other day was Marquette. I think that's a team that's kind of a sleeper team that could potentially get to a Final Four. I don't know if they can win it all, but I, I've watched them play a couple times, and I like Marquette. So, again, LSU, another team that I like. I've seen them play a couple times. Pretty interesting team. Uh, the former coach at VCU, Will Wade, is in charge down in Baton Rouge. They had a very controversial victory last night at, at Kentucky. A uh, tip-in at the buzzer, uh, clear, clearly basket interference, offensive goaltending, but by rule, the officials cannot review whether it's goaltending or not since it was at the buzzer. They could only review whether the shot got, the, 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 the ball was tipped in prior to the buzzer, which that's a, such a stupid rule. How can you not review offensive goaltending in the last couple of minutes of these games? That is just incredible. That they're gonna not let the official that they don't let the officials review goaltending, but they can review fouls, they can review out of bounds situations, timing, but we can't rule on goal goaltending. Are you kidding me? I mean, if a if an NCAA tournament game of big consequence gets determined by something like that, which I think the rule is gonna get changed anyway after this Kentucky situation last night, I think the rule is gonna get changed next this off season, but. God forbid there be a tournament game that gets decided by that kind of situation. It will be just an ab- absolute disaster for the NCAA. Uh, but, again, that's a garbage rule in my opinion. I mean, Kentucky, that game should have gone to overtime last night, LSU-Kentucky, but it didn't. The Bayou Bengals get it done in Rupp Arena thanks to the uh, to the NCAA rule book. 
Last thing we'll talk about, the Duke Blue Devils. What a comeback last night against the Louisville Cardinals. And what a meltdown by the Louisville Cardinals. Louisville led by first-year coach Chris Mack coming over from Xavier. Very, very successful run at Xavier. Very good coach. I'm flipping around the TV last night, and all of a sudden I see Louisville up 13, 14, with probably 12, 13 minutes left in the game. Then all of a sudden I turn back with about seven minutes left in the game, and they're up 16 or 17, but don't realize they were up 23 with nine minutes to go. Duke down 23, nine minutes to go on the road. Starting four freshmen, Duke, in the last nine minutes of that game, outscores Louisville 35-10. Incredible. Louisville, a total, absolute meltdown of epic proportions. Couldn't get the ball in bounds. Could barely get the ball past half court when they did get it in bounds. Duke, full lockdown on defense. Trapping, pressing, full credit to Duke. But again, an abjunct, ab, you know, abject, disastrous meltdown by Louisville. You just cannot do that. And Louisville is a good team. Louisville is a top 15 team in the country on their home court. And blow a 23-point lead in the last nine minutes. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. You know, Zion had a very good game last night. Cam Reddish had a very good game. I mean, these these Duke freshmen, they got three freshmen that are going to be a top five. Three of the top five picks in the draft are going to be Duke freshmen. Reddish, Zion Williams, R.J. Barrett are going to be three of the top five picks in the NBA draft. So incredible comeback. Full credit to Mike Krzyzewski. I know there's a lot of Duke haters out there, and I don't love them all the time, but you got to give nothing but full credit to Duke last night. In Louisville, down 23, could have easily packed it in. Come back from the depths of defeat and win the game. Win by a deuce in Louisville. All right. Well, we'll see you next week on the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers. Have a great week. Again, don't forget, if you are on the hook for Valentine's Day tomorrow, you better hurry. Probably too late to get order flowers online. You better hope to God your florist has some flowers available. If you haven't already done so, get those favorite. You better take your missus or your or your fella to the his favorite restaurant or her favorite restaurant. Hope you have a reservation. And you better have that credit card ready because it ain't going to be cheap. Overpriced food, drinks, desserts flowers but make sure you take care of your lady take care of your fella whatever it is for you do it or else it will be a very very rough next couple of weeks for you if you drop the ball on valentine's day to that special someone and make sure you tell your mama and your sister happy valentine's day as well because they want to hear it too All right, till next week, I'm Jason Powers, Powers on Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week on the next episode of the Powers on Sports Podcast.